0: What's up, guys? It's T-Mai, and welcome to another episode of t the Podcast. Hey, y'all. It's episode number six. Um, this is pretty cool. I really feel like we're actually like, getting a whole flow going. Like, I love this so much. <laughs> we love consistency. Um, I wanted to apologize for not putting out an episode last week. Um, I had finally arrived in America Um, And so I did not want to, you know, record another episode while I was, like, really tired and, like, exhausted and trying to keep up with work. Um, So I recorded a few episodes um, this past weekend, and I'm really excited for you all to hear them. Um, But, yeah, so this week's episode actually is, as you see by the title, is called To Be Young, Radical, and Black, which this is, like, one of my favorite episodes that I've recorded so far um, because, as many people know, I am a Black leftist. Um, I p- participate in radical leftist politics, um, and I'm so excited to have had this discussion with two amazing people. Aaron and Wes are both extremely intelligent, very capable human beings that spit some really awesome facts on this podcast. So I know you guys are going to enjoy it. I just want to apologize in advance, um, about some of the audio. There's a little bit of background noise um, in the audio, but I really still felt like it was okay enough to give to you guys because it was such a good discussion. So like, try not to, you know, dwell on it too much. Um, Aaron was at work, unfortunately, but really wanted to participate in the podcast. And so let's ignore the noises just for him. Um, But yeah. So before we get into the episode, there's a few topics I wanted to discuss um, this is a very emotionally taxing week, especially for the black community, per usual. Um, some really fucked up stuff happened, and I just wanted to cover some of it. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the execution of Brendan Bernard. Um, Brendan Bernard was a part of a execution um, of two people. Um, Back in 1999, Um, he was not the gunman, however, but he was an accomplice to the crime. Um, And the jury then sentenced him to death. Um, But the federal government has been on a 17-year hiatus on committing um, executions um, for those that are incarcerated. Um, And so, basically, Brendan Bernard, within that time frame um, between 1999 and 2020, had reformed himself basically, um, within prison. Um, but unfortunately he never got to meet his fam. Um, some of his children hasn't seen his family. Um, a lot of the interaction they've had is behind like glass. Um, but he had no like misconduct record in prison. Um, and basically like, yeah, just genuinely did reform himself as a person. Um, but unfortunately under the Trump administration and William Barr, he reignited, um, during COVID Um, The executions, um, federal executions, and that's really disgusting and disturbing. Um, I'm someone that's very adamantly against the death penalty. Um, I don't think that states should be able to control who lives and who dies, regardless of if that person did or did not commit a a heinous crime. life in prison. I don't believe in prisons either. I believe in reformation and restorative justice. But of course, like within the society that we live in now, of course, prisons are the way to go because we don't have rehabilitation um, programs. So I would really like to see our society go towards a more restorative justice approach and also fix a lot of the systemic issues that would help actually avoid um, a lot of these problems that people get into um, that pushes them to push pushes them to commit acts of violence um so yeah i do think that um it is really disturbing that um the federal government resumed federal executions and i do hope that under the biden administration that they halt it again and go back on hiatus because i just don't think it's right you know i don't think that states should have the power to kill people especially in an, an age where a lot of black people that were on that have been placed on death row have died as innocent people. Um, of course, in the case of Brandon Bernard, he wasn't necessarily innocent in the crime that he like partook in, but I do believe that restorative justice is very necessary and important. Um, so yeah. And you know, you'll hear a lot of more hot takes on the episode today. Um, I also wanted to talk about, um, I also wanted to talk about the police shooting of Casey Goodson Jr. First, I wanted to offer my condolences to his family, um, to his friends and to our community that is grieving his death. This is just one of the most disturbing police shootings that I have read about. Um, I'm happy that there is no video for me to look at. I stopped watching police, um, executions, um, two years ago. I just told myself I'm no longer watching any video. I don't need a video to know what happened, right? Um because we know that black people are just killed senselessly for absolutely no reason. So it was just really disturbing to read about this case. Um, If you don't know what happened, um, Casey Goodson Jr. was a young man returning home from the dentist and getting his family some subway. um, And he was walking up to his door and he unlocked his door and was shot in the back by a police officer, um, police officer Mead. And um, he fell into his kitchen in front of his little brother and his grandmother. and and died um and literally like I shouldn't even have to say this no criminal record no whatever even if he had a criminal record I don't care no one should be taken out like that right and this man really just got killed for absolutely no reason as many of us end up getting killed for absolutely no reason except for white supremacy right um and like I say continuously the police state is an extension of white supremacy point blank period I'm all for police abolition I'm all for, quote-unquote, defunding the police. Boop-boop-boop, we'll also be talking about that. Um, I'm all for all of that, defunding white supremacist structures. Um, I don't believe in reforming structures that were meant to kill people like us, um, meant to kill black and brown people. Um, There is no reforming those systems, right? Um, And this is a perfect example of this, right? Like, how can a man walk into his house with Subway for his family... ...after leaving the dentist and just randomly get shot in the back. I don't understand, like, why is this continuously happening? Oh, yeah, because of white supremacy. Um, so I do think, like, we need to, do, like, continuously keep fighting against these systems. But I really need people to stop leaving it at re- reforming. Because reforming is not doing shit. We've been reforming this system for years literally like we're living in reformed slavery. That's exactly what we're living in. The prison industrial complex is reformed slavery. The way they treat black people, the police state is reformed slavery, right? Continuously putting us in jails or killing us in order to push this capitalist agenda that this country has. So yeah, like I just don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think it's okay that, um, we continue to accept this nonsense right and I think we need to be asking for more black lives matter and just affirming that black people exist and they matter is not enough we need to be pushing for serious dismantlement serious and radical change Um, we cannot stop at no chokeholds or no putting your foot on someone's neck or no this or no that right like we need to really push for what we need and what we deserve as a society so yeah um, but like I said again, rest in peace to Casey Goodson Jr. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. It shouldn't be happening to anyone in our in this world. But oh man, white supremacy is a bitch, guys. Like I, it's just really tearing me up. Um, I guess in more quote-unquote positive news, uh, the Supreme Court um, like denied Trump's claims again for like the gazillionth time that he won the election. Um, and would not give him the votes uh, that, were allegedly, stolen by the Democratic Party via mail-in ballots. This whole thing with the election is just really stupid to me, and I want to—I don't want to hear anything else about it. Like I voted for, you know, moderate Joe Biden, and I don't want to keep being reminded that I did that. Like I'm still irritated with myself for voting for that man. Felt like I—I I just had to like you know like nobody wants to be in this incessant like recycling like cycling of trump um but i do recognize that joe biden is still trash um and yeah i don't god can we just move on like i'm so annoyed by this whole election process but yeah so that happened um so for all the liberals listening i'm sure you guys are happy about that um yeah, but I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm very lukewarm about the whole thing. Um, but yeah, so those are the stories I wanted to cover. Um, I also wanted to remind everyone that you can support the podcast on Anchor Support. And you can also support the podcast on Patreon. I do want to say I have my first patron. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon um, so yeah, for anyone that wants to support the podcast, I really do need a, a mic. Um, I do want to enhance the audio for the podcast, which is why I opened up the Patreon so and the anchor support. So if you guys want to donate to my podcast so that I can get a new mic, that would be really amazing. The link is in the description of the podcast. You can also find the links um in my Instagram bio at everythingtmi. And yeah, um, So let's go ahead and get started with the discussion. Okay, and we're back. Um, I'm here with my friends, Aaron and Wes to talk about black leftists and radicalization. Um, and I'm really excited about this conversation. I want to thank you guys again for joining me today on this episode. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about this. Um, so yeah, um, either of you can start um, to introduce you guys, to introduce yourselves.
1: Um, so uh, my name is Aaron. My pronouns are he, they. I am 18 years old. I go to Howard University in Washington, D.C., and I'm a political science major. Um, my minor is economics, and my um, like focus, I guess, for my degrees would be um, public policy.
2: Nice. Okay,
3: okay. Um, What's up, y'all? My name is Wes. My well, name is Wesley. <laughs> yeah um, pronouns is he, him, his Um, uh, I currently I'm currently on a gap year at Tuskegee University Um, I intend on transferring but uh, major is English, minor is uh, international affairs and yeah
0: nice so I wanted to get this conversation started with my first question so Would you both consider yourselves to be a radical leftist? And if so, what would you define as a radical leftist? And if you're not, either of those things or don't feel like whatever you identify politically fits within those realms, what would you identify yourself as?
3: All right, I guess we'll jump in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I think I I did. I think I'd identify myself as um, a radical leftist. I'd adhere to that um, term, right? Uh, Specifically within that, right? uh, I am a communist, unapologetically. Um, But, you know, it's interesting. I was dissecting just what it means to be a um, black radical leftist, right? Radical leftist specifically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I knew about this, um, I found out about this a couple of years ago that the term leftist means it was, uh, created during the French Revolution and what it meant was people that were on the left of the king um, and therefore were not in favor of the king and promoted revolution. So inherently to lean left, mm-hmm. to be a leftist is to be revolutionary. Um, and of course to be a radical is someone that wants change. Um, and those terms are synonymous so therefore I don't have a problem as, in identifying as a radical leftist.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. I would consider myself to be um, a political radical. I would consider myself to be a leftist too. Um, I would define being a radical, kind of like what Wes was saying in terms of um, a person who is opposed to the world as it contemporarily exists. Um, Again, like Wes was saying, right? Like the people who sat on the left-hand side of the king in France, the people who oppose the, existing status quo were these radicals who wanted a society that was much, much more egalitarian than the one that they were currently residing in. And so I do think that to be a radical is to believe that we can build a better world and that it can be a world that is radically egalitarian and capable of responding to the full range of human needs.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so like, I guess I'll answer the question too, since I'm all in the call too. Um, I would consider myself as well as a Black radical leftist um, I subscribe to for the exact same reasons as both of you. Um, I think the reason like, I asked that question is because I think people get scared of terms like radical and left and whatever. And I think it's very weird to me that like, Black people in particular um, would be afraid of using terms like radical and left, considering that like, a lot of the activism that um, our community has partaken in has always been very Black, very radical, mm-hmm. very left. Um, and subscribes to all of these terms, but I think like there has been this um, fear mongering, of sorts, and also like a disinformation campaign on what it is to be a leftist, what it is to be communist, what it is to be a lot of these things, and it's been shrouded. Um, yeah, just like a huge disinformation campaign, I guess I would call it. Um, so I think like it is important to like define like what these terms mean um and like why we would even subscribe to such terms um because I even have friends now that are like "Mm, I don't know if I would call myself like a socialist that's a bit much like that's a little far um and like you have you know the term socialist and communist being thrown around in a way that's kind of not even kind of insulting it is insulting to be like joe biden's <laughs> a communist um <laughs> and like literally like you thinking like you know communism ends uh-huh. at joe biden is <laughs> like the strangest um mental gymnastic that we're at right now so i do think like it is important to like have these terms like defined um so i guess the next question would be like what radicalized you to take part in radical left politics? Um, and I guess, like, what puts put you at a point where you could confidently, like, define yourself as a leftist, as communist, like, whatever. Like, I know everyone, like, has their points that radicalize them. Like, I saw a tweet today that was, like, the Scholastic Book Fair was super <laughs> classes, And that was, like, my moment <laughs> where I became a radical leftist. Um, and that was really funny to me. But, like, in all seriousness, like, what points in your life where you're, like, okay, like, my politic is, like, shifting?
1: Um, for me, I would say that I've always sort of been a person who believes um, in this idea of democracy. Um, I do think that to a certain extent that living in a democratic society would significantly increase a lot of um, the quality of people's lives. And um, for a really long time, I labored under the delusion that we lived in a democratic society. Um, And I tried to sort of I tried to sort of reconcile that with all of these um really weird contradictions that i was seeing within the system um right like i was seeing um a very big difference in like the lives of like people of color obviously um but working class communities as a whole and um more like wealthier like affluent communities and um obviously like the contradictions didn't stop there but um i just couldn't really come to terms with the fact that um there was something better that there was anything more democratic than what we were seeing and so i did a lot of research on the matter myself um i tried to understand like the foundations of liberalism um i did research into capitalism and trying to understand like all of the contradictions around capitalism that i kept seeing like manifest like the racial wealth gap or just the wealth gap in general, um, the quality of healthcare service in the United States, particularly, um, like all of these situations in which people were not having their needs met by the system. And, um, I did more research into alternative types of systems, which naturally led me to, um, socialism and communism. And, um, I was finally able to read some thinkers who were able to show me that not only would a communist world order be a world order in which people could like actively like live um better lives but it could be something that was radically democratic and um i guess that's Mm. what really radicalized me
3: Mm. okay yeah um well to speak from my experience um what radicalized me is being poor. And yeah, mm-hmm. and this is the root of um this is the root of my um of my fascination really with Huey P. Newman because in uh in his autobiography and Revolutionary Suicide, he said the only thing that made me a socialist was being poor, right? And not having my basic necessities met in life. Um and the feeling with being poor is anger. That's the Feeling that is Mm -hmm. associated with poverty, and I felt anger on more than multiple occasions. But I know what that feels like to be a daily reality, daily routine. And now it's a question of my life: of where is that anger going to be channeled into? And that is going to be channeled towards the system Mm -hmm. that created that poverty and that deprivation of basic necessities that I endured coming up. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, my motivation is. um i mean it 's like it's it 's intense, right it has this intensity to it um and of course, I see communism as the only way in order to get there in order to truly bring about uh the virtues of what we speak about with egalitarian society um and you know not seeing these disparities exist anymore um and seeing them repeated generations after generations um yeah, I mean, you know, what radicalized me is just not having what I need in life, right? And therefore, there needs to be something mm-hmm. in place in order to um, stop that, stop that um, disparity, you know, to cease that disparity. In order to ensure that there's a, um, mm-hmm. there's a standard for humanity, right? And what Aaron was saying, there's a standard mm-hmm. which results in people having, all people having healthcare. Yeah, and all people having um, the right to education, the right to um, electricity, right? You know, the right to housing, the right to food. You know, all of these things should be um, the base standard, right? You know, because this is what the people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not born here to be deprived of what this planet provides for us.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, personally, like... In terms of like my own radicalization journey like I was talking to Wes about this before you got onto the recording and like where I grew up um plays a lot into like how I am where I am like I grew up in the middle of nowhere Georgia um being one of the only black people that I knew <laughs> besides like two or three other people and I think it was like very clear like the racial disparities that I experienced um endless things that were based on my race and it all was very arbitrary and i was under like trying to figure out okay but like why is it like this though like i don't get it um and so i remember like um moving to atlanta and like being completely different and like trying to understand like okay but even though there's like this racial thing that's like not as much of an issue in atlanta Mm -hmm. but now it's class-based right Um, and so me trying to understand like what is allowing all these systems to come at play and like how they're personally impacting me and also how they're impacting the people around me and I remember reading um, The Peoples of America by Howard Zinn which is like the book that like messed me up Um, because it's really interesting because like in the south there's like a disparity in um, how curriculum is taught even throughout like a state level so like I was getting a completely different version of like what history is and like how we came to be before I moved to Atlanta. The curriculum was completely different. um, and we're reading Howard Zinn, and that completely like shook up my sensibilities, my complete trust in like the country, like what democracy even is. Do we even live in a democracy? Like, you know, like being actually like that book really made me question things for the first time, like seriously question things. Um, and it's kind of like a, kind of a blip from here. Here we are on this podcast, <laughs> having this conversation, you know? So I think, like, it is interesting to, like, understand, like, um, where people are coming from when it comes to, like, the their villain origin story of becoming leftist. Um, it's always interesting. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I guess I also wanted to ask, like, in terms of like your radicalization or like your political practice now, like who are people or theories um, that like inspire you the most? And also some that are on the left that may not inspire you as much.
1: Um, do you want to go first,
3: Wes? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Not. <laughs> um, I think, you know, well, I'll actually start with this question in reverse because when I read the question initially, I thought you were asking like revolutionaries that like aren't on the left, right? You know that you know we don't, like. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, specifically to answer mm-hmm. who I don't like, right? Uh, the only name that really comes to my mm-hmm. mind is George Washington, yeah, because George Washington certainly was a revolutionary, but for the reactionary purposes, right? You know, for wrong purposes completely, mm-hmm. um, and it's but I can still. Respect the mechanism that George Washington could use in order to overthrow the um the yoke of colonialism of Britain, right? Yeah, that's something I feel that needs to be um mm-hmm. re- acknowledged at least, right? You know, but not respected in what that man and mm-hmm. all these other rich white men created with this country. You know, it's interesting, you know because with George mm-hmm. Washington, mm-hmm. he was you know fairly poor, right? He wasn't, and then he married Martha Washington and got the money, but you know. He was able to become a revolutionary <laughs> because he knows what deprivation feels like and he was able to channel that and attack the colonial mm-hmm. power. right now that needs to be used in our hands um and specifically who i'm inspired by um i wrote down some names um specifically members of um the black Panther party yeah um huey p newton to Elaine brown who was the first woman chair and um, to Angela Davis, who's in the Black Panther Party for a year. Um, and, you know, was a very, very loved and, and he is a very loved and renowned Black communist. Um, I think I can throw on Rosa Parks in there, of course, another revolutionary socialist. Um, you know, Karl Marx, certainly, Mao Zedong, uh, Vladimir Lenin, Fidel you know, Castro, Jacob um, Toussaint Le Simon Bolivar. Um, and I, And then I think the last person I'll put on this list, well, to name a a few more, right? (laughs) Um, Jacques Romain, who Mm was the um, founder of the Haitian Communist Party, um, and I am Haitian as well, so that's why. Um, My my great-great-grandfather, Albert Villeneuve, who who we suspect was a uh, revolutionary socialist, who was assassinated by the um, imperialist regime, the puppet regime um, that the United States sponsored. and um, Malcolm X is another one of my uh, uh, inspirations, for sure. uh, François, uh Fanon for sure, uh, W.E.B. Duval. I'm naming quite a few names. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
0: Everyone yeah, write yeah. it down if you're listening. And, uh, you are, look them all look, up. Look, I can't pick, like, three.
3: <laughs> 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 you are, you are, like, for real, y'all, this world got so many revolutionaries, yeah. Oh, and I think I'll end this list with Sintomas, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Thomas and Thomas, for sure, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, they they truly embody the spirit of liberation to me, right? I, um, these people made mm-hmm. it clear that give me liberty or give me death, and that's uh, that. You know?
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Dope.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. So, like, for me, I would say, like, because, again, like I said earlier, um, I'm primarily motivated by the creation of a democratic society. And I have since come to understand that building political democracy in a society also requires for us to build economic democracy. And capitalism is not a system that supports any notion of democracy right, like at your job, like you essentially sacrifice all inherent rights you have to autonomy or liberty the second you clock on. Um, I speak from experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, literally. (laughs) So um, yeah, so I would say I've always been, been focused on thinkers who stress the fact that building like a type of real and legitimate democracy sort of requires for us mm-hmm. to have a um, democratic economic order. And some of the people who talk about this the most are, um, well, my my favorite thinker would probably be Marie Bookchin, who is a American leftist. And he talked a lot about how in order to sort of truly fight a lot of the the problems that exist in our society, all problems which sort of stem from the fact that We notably live in a world where an elite few people get to make all of our political and economic decisions for us, Um, he basically proposed that we should instead create more horizontal and decentralized modes of organization to build a type of counter power to the people who control our society. And um, I found this to be a very, very interesting idea. So I would say he's number one for me. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Number two would be Paulo Freire, who is a very, very notable Brazilian Marxist who Mm -hmm. talked a lot about decolonization and education. Freire wrote in a time in which Brazil was under the rule of colonial powers who were able to sort of mentally subjugate colonized people in Brazil. And he talked about this most notably through the education system, right? Because after all, if you can sort of make people believe that the world has to be the way that the world is, like that this is all that can ever exist, um, you can get people to sort of think a lot of negative things that impact their ability to question the status quo. And um, he wrote a lot about building a type of critical pedagogy, um, a process in which education becomes not a tool of oppression, but a tool of liberation. And um, that's always been really, really inspiring to me. And um, last but not least, I would probably have to say um, Rosa Luxemburg was a pretty Mm -hmm. influential um, thinker for me because um, I have to admit Mm -hmm. that when I was reading about socialism and communism, right, I obviously had massive hesitations. Um, Obviously not because I didn't believe in a more egalitarian economic order, but because I worried about the extent to which we could preserve democracy in these new societies that we were trying to create. And um, Luxembourg was really helpful to me because she sort of, Understood that building a liberated society, building a socialist society requires um, a new type of democracy. It requires radical democracy. Um, our movements cannot be separated from the people, essentially, is what she wrote extensively about. And um, that really helped me to sort of see socialism in a much better light because I understood it was the will of the people. It was the will of like oppressed people who were finally taking power from themselves and um, building a society in which no one had to be oppressed. So mm-hmm. those, those three were pretty influential for me.
0: Dope. I mean, I would say mine personally um, shout out to the Kabahi River Collective, yes. the baddest bitches in yes. the game. Period. Yes. Point blank. Um, black feminist praxis will be nothing without y'all. Period. Point blank. Barbara Smith, Audre Lorde, mm-hmm. all out. the um, And I think, like, for me, like that statement, like, like if you haven't read the Kabahi River Collective statement, um, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Very easy read. Very quick and very necessary um I think like that for me was um my go-to piece for like regrounding myself and like why I do what I do and like why I believe like society is you know like reimagining a better society as possible because if like black queer women can do it then like I mm-hmm. can as well you know um and I think like it is important to like acknowledge their work um and like create a really big emphasis on that. Like I come from a Black feminist practice, so that's like kind of where I'm coming from. Um, also like Ho Chi Minh is like my fave. Say, say um, no, <laughs> like, no. Fave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like actually, like don't no one, like for me personally, like no one. to mind. Law, that's like, why. That's <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like that's my guy. Like no one. Like really. Like actually though, because I did um in my undergrad, like I was a history major as well, but I did Ace- East Asian history specifically, and so we were taking a class called Socialism in East Asia, and like there was this entire unit about Ho Chi Minh, and I was like, Yo, this <laughs> man! Wow, like I an icon. Like honestly like and i think like what i like about ho chi minh so much is that this man um
2: oh, yeah, did yeah. everything <laughs> really
0: to seek liberation for vietnamese people and even if that meant yeah. knocking on the door of the it west he was going to do it and i think it's very interesting how he became a villain of the west mm. when he asked them for help first um and i think like that is the most um telling to be honest about like um, you know Ho Chi Minh and like his journey is that like he really requested and seeked help from people that did promise this liberty and justice and etc right and they were the first to turn him away and he was like well by any means necessary I guess I'll ask Russia mm-hmm. <laughs> why not so because he was doing anything in order to liberate you know Vietnam And I think that it's such a touchy thing to like be an American or whatever and be like, I love Ho Chi Minh, but like, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say it, like I love Ho Chi Minh, Um, like one of my favorite, like just standalone, just his story in general, not even necessarily Mm -hmm. anything that's come out of his mouth, um, but also Mm -hmm. things that have come out of his mouth are pretty dope. But I do think like in terms of like just his eagerness to like liberate Vietnam and to do it, Mm In any way, and like this really, this serious commitment to like anti-colonial practice is like really important to me. So like I love him too. So like those are the two groups of people I'll shout out: Kumbahi River Collective and Ho Chi Minh. But, yeah, like, I encourage everyone that's listening to this, like, go, you know, Google everybody that's been said. West <laughs> dropped way too many names. You might have to run that back. You Hold might on. have to make a list, a graphic um, with everyone you said. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, but, yeah. but I did, like, do – I, I kind of do, though, what I emphasize. Um, I think the reason why I asked about, like, revolutionaries that people do not subscribe to because I think that um, – There's this really interesting discourse happening in young leftist circles on what revolutionaries we will stand and which ones we won't. Um, And so I think, like, people have hot takes about who they don't fuck with and who they do fuck with. (laughs) Um, And I think, like, for example, um, like, if there's, I don't know if there are any Stalinists <laughs> on the call, but like, are there any Stalin stands like in the room? Say, aye.
3: I don't know.
0: I, I don't
3: I say I'm middle of the road. I'm not gonna you lie. I'm middle of the road. I'm not gonna lie. You said what? <laughs> okay,
0: yeah. I mean, I think that's valid, though. <laughs> I can do the
3: homie like that,
0: homie. <laughs> but I. not the homie please i wouldn't go as far as to call him a homie of mine but like i saw where he was going but he got a little bit too scared and started offering people um unnecessarily unfortunately um but i do think it is interesting though like i think it is a serious conversation to be had because i do think um like there are some like quote unquote like leftist revolutionaries are like people that um are tied to like leftist circles that people do have an issue with people like standing um and i mean i don't know if i necessarily have an issue with i think the issue for me i guess personally is like when it comes to people's revolutionary faves and they will (laughs) by any means necessary defend them and yes. not um take into account the critique that there is to be had about pure revolutionary faith um and um i think like that is an important discussion to have because like you know like um like if we're gonna talk about like racism and like leftist circles or whatever of course there were like really popular leftist mm-hmm. figures that were very racist as well um or like like Pretended not to be racist, but, like, genuinely, like, you are a racist piece of shit, right? So, I mean, I do think, like, the yeah, like, I do think the main issue for me is just, like, sometimes in leftist circles, Mm -hmm. people are unable to take critique and are not able to take critique of Mm -hmm. people they, like, admire a lot. And I think we need, I think that's a problem that, like, needs to be addressed.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think... Um, yeah, of course. You know, mine, was, or experience rather, damn it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, well, I mean, to give a brief, <laughs> brief background of myself, I was raised in to Right. So um, my uncle actually has this big bust of marks mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, he made it, he sculpted it. So it's like, you know, I was used to hearing this rhetoric about, um, you know, all of these people coming up and of course I discovered my own. But I think it's interesting because I'm actually reading this book right now called um, The Romance of American Communism. And uh, uh, Vivian Gornick, she discusses mm-hmm. just how she did this series of interviews with um, members of the Communist Party USA. And, you know, these old people that are in their 90s now that were involved with the party in the, in the 1930s. And it's like, you know, she she says she deals with harassment from them all the time. It's like, like, they're, they're so... Stubborn, if I'm keeping it real, right? You know, I mean, damn it, I'm stubborn too. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, we can't be, we can't be, um, not be able to be flexible, right? Yeah, I think, and the way she describes it in this book is beautiful. As she says how the reason why we're so adamant about these revolutionaries is because of our passion, right? But passion is something that's so volatile. We mm-hmm. can't let, it's necessary in order for these movements to take off them to prevail. But we can't get um, intoxicated by our passion. Right? Like, we can't let our passion overcome us to the point that we don't see the flaws in someone. Um, you know, I mean, really seeing people is, you know, to be corny, is people. <laughs> people that had their flaws, people mm-hmm. that were, were just indicative of the time, right? Or, you know, is the overall majority. Um, and I think, you know, it's like, I mean, as the most striking example I can think of, is um, sexism, right? You know, and the sexism that uh, many of the Black Panther Party had, and mm-hmm. how I think we're we're delusional, yeah. we're, we're we're fucking with ourselves, right? If we think that, that, that's not dissipate. right? <laughs> you know, because there's been no revolutionary education overall to take that sexism out of black men, you know. So we're going to continue to see these same dilemmas, um, you know, pr- um, prevail sadly because there's been no. Um, the advance of consciousness when it comes to the to the um, importance of egalitarianism specifically among the poor, right? I think you know the middle class, eh, they have a mm-hmm. you know a somewhat understanding of it, but when it comes to the poor, you know that that chauvinist shit, that sexist shit, is something that really prevails among our communities. It's a matter of power, right? And that's that's what really brings it all back to communism mm-hmm. and revolution because we got to get rid of these dynamics where we have people separated, people having this deep desire to, to get power, right? You know, to achieve something. Yeah. And, you know, that's the score upon someone being weaker. weaker. Yeah. yeah. Right. We need critique. Critique is definitely necessary. Right. I have
1: to agree. Um, that's in part one of the reasons why I don't really like, like I'm very critical of anyone who sort of stands a revolutionary because um, I feel like amongst the left, right? Like we often talk about, um, like liberals, right? People who um, sort of have these like very weird fascinations with um, political figures who um, Mm -hmm. did some pretty horrible things, right? Like we as leftists, like we Mm -hmm. can all make fun of um, some liberal who stands Obama, but if someone brings up any of the sort of like legitimate um, um, atrocities that were created by some by some figureheads right like silence or um they'll call you a liberal mm-hmm. in response for like bringing those things mm-hmm. up um and so i i yeah. very much agree with you guys like we absolutely need to be able to critique um prior thinkers and revolutionaries if we are able going to remain relevant in contemporary age well
3: and uh to add on to that mm-hmm. thank you, um point I think there, there's still this inherent fundamental difference between, um, you know, the idolatry, right, that liberals have of their, their leaders, right, and that leftists have of all revolutionaries. All of are the revolutionaries, you know, that they actually participated in revolutionary struggle and sacrificed their life for this movement. Yeah, and, of course, this is not to say they don't deserve critique, but that's the fundamental difference between what liberals see. Um, when liberals have this fascination of someone versus us. Um, but definitely there is this commonality between the substance. I think, you know, we can't get lost in a revolutionary person versus a revolutionary spirit. But that must be emphasized. And, and that and emphasis of revolution needs to constantly be in our our rhetoric. Right? And, you
0: know, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah like i I completely agree with like everything like that's been said. I do think though that like I think like my problem becomes um i f- I don't know, I feel like for me, the most common issue I think in leftist circles is that I'm just gonna like we all know this the left is like very white for whatever reason um and can be very white in terms of like who's the Thanks. loudest and who gets to control the narrative <laughs> of the left and I think
3: it's the problem, <laughs> baby. <laughs>
0: and like this has always been a problem you know what i mean like even like when the communist international like you know like there's like black leftists like black african like revolutionaries coming to the communist international being like yo like race needs to be part of the political praxis we can't just keep it at class like there's things that people uniquely deal with in race, and, like, people thinking that, like, that's going to complicate everything or whatever, we shouldn't, like, add race to it, right? So I think, like, that, um, that, like, directly, like, impacts, like, this weird, like, stand culture that, like, happens, like, I I will say that, like, yes, there is, like, um, there's a difference between me, like, standing for, like, Che Guevara than it is for me. Like, if I were to stand for, like, Obama, Mm -hmm. like, the differences are, like, Mm -hmm. completely... Clear, right? But I do think that, like, when it comes to like people idolizing leftist thinkers, but like when people do say things like, "Hey, but this person was really fucking sexist," and like maybe this is something we should critique and like take out, people uh-huh. really do get genuinely like mad defensive. Um, and I think like we can't like hold ourselves like hold liberals to a standard standard that people mm-hmm. aren't meeting in our own <laughs> circles. And I just think it's like not I just think it's way too common. I think I just say that because like I say that for <laughs> Gen Z TikTok leftists. Like that's who I'm that's yeah, who I'm mom. screaming at right now. <laughs> Cause that that which is why like I'm not as um involved in that community. Like I follow everyone, everyone follows me, but I <laughs> any content about it. Not really, very rarely. Um because like I I just get very irritated, I think, because like the the dialogue and rhetoric around who we love and who we don't love or like what mm-hmm. who we stand and who we don't stand is like so simplistic and like yeah. borderline creepy to be honest. Um and I think like that's why it's important to be having this conversation with other people that are like part of this like generation as well of us being, like, you know, holding ourselves accountable, like, not being, like, you know, well, we're leftists, so it's fine. <laughs> like, no, it's still, it's still creepy and not cool. Let's not do this, you know? Um, but, yeah. I, I also wanted to, um, I guess, move the conversation because, like, the reason why I wanted to talk to you guys is because, like, you're leftists, but you're also Black leftists. So, like, I think, like, that's a very important intersection um, to discuss. And so, like, my next... Um, question would be like how would you describe um, the black radical tradition and like would you do consider yourself to be someone that like follows the black radical tradition of leftist politics
1: um oh my god I'm so sorry I just found out something like really disturbing can one of you guys go
0: (laughs) okay yeah Uh, sorry uh,
3: yeah (laughs) all right that so the question was mm-hmm. like, do I adhere to the black radical um leftist tradition? Just, yeah. Well yeah, for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, definitely. Um um yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's the essence of how we get free, right? Um the most the most striking example mm-hmm. actually. Um I've had uh, to really, you know, um, instill a sense of not even a sense, but instill this spirit of pride in me, right? For Black radical leftist tradition, is when I went to Cuba. I don't know if this was like a year ago. Yeah, wow, (laughs) like two. (laughs) But I was in Cuba um, um, last year, and it was made very clear that without Black radical, you know, leftist just radical tradition in general. This um, revolution would have never been successful, right? You know, and I think it's interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, because the the black people of any society, right, are the most oppressed. And I mean, I think my reading of Franz um, bon Fano has made this very clear. Is and even my own analysis of my life, right, You know, and looking at the apartheid level, um, apartheid structure that still exists in countries like Haiti. Um, to use my country of my family's origin, the blacker you are, the less you have, uh, and the more you are at the bottom. And to give an example of my own family lineage, my father, mm-hmm. he's half Arab um, he, and he's half um, he, ancient African, right? And now the Arabs, because they're right, you white, know, they have money, <laughs> they have the privilege, right? They have this sort of white privilege in a society where there are no white people, right? And while well, his mother's side is poor, you know my grandmother's illiterate, she has nothing, yeah, and she is, she is, um, very dark skinned right? And you know she's at the bottom of um, the society of this world, and I, this is speaking exactly to who, Franz uh, Fanon was describing when he said the wretch of the earth, yeah, it's the these are the people that have nothing, yeah, and they feel like they're doomed, or even what um, I was Bakunin that said, you know, the revolutionaries are doomed, person. He said man, but I say person, right? And the revolutionary are doomed people, but in the respect of doomed of within the parameters of this world. And that's who black people are, right? We're doomed within the parameters of this world. So therefore our spirit makes us take down the structure of this world. And that's what black radical tradition does, right? And Mm -hmm. I I think it's interesting because even I spent Mm -hmm. um, about a week in Mississippi and I learned that Mississippi was ground zero for the civil rights movement. And it makes sense with the most harsh form of oppression that has been, um, that people have endured and suffered from and suffered from until this day in Mississippi and across the country. You know, these black people are going to inevitably mm-hmm. have the, the gumption, right? You know, and the, the extreme revolutionary spirit to overthrow these systems that oppressed them so harshly. Right? Um, and I mean, that, that spirit, must live within everyone. Uh, and that's what Cuba has demonstrated, is that within the, the white people of that society, um, and those that have um, um, adopted that society as their own, right? like Che Guevara, who's Argentinian, but went to, uh, went to Cuba and fought, he adopted the spirit of the black people of that nation, right, of the most disparaged souls of that country. And then that's able to make the Cuban revolution successful. Mm-hmm. And that same spirit is going to make our revolution successful.
0: <laughs> that was like a sermon. Yeah,
3: <laughs> that was, re- that was, that was, was really good. That was really good. Oh, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it all
0: <laughs> Like, I want to emphasize on like the essence of like the Black radical tradition. Like, I think like when I think of like the essence of it, it's like I kind of get upset in a way because I feel like it like kind of brings me to a point where. I think about like the lack of um, access to like learning about what the black radical tradition is. And a lot of this being like kind of, I don't know, like, I don't even know the word for it, but like grouped or like, <clears throat> I don't even know words, but like, like this inaccessible thing until you get to college. If you want to learn more about like radical black politics and like praxis, because I think like a lot of us, like me personally, like for my education growing up, at least like school mm-hmm. curriculum, not like family curriculum, because we know the difference um, is like, you know, okay, um, George Washington. Oh, wait, no. pilgrims, George Washington uh Martin Luther King and he, and he wanted a dream or something and then America <laughs> um now. Right? And <laughs> and it's like Black History Month, but we're only talking about MLK and we're only talking about like digestible MLK yeah. that Republicans yeah. have co-opted now, right? And I think, like, it's really upsetting because it's, like, when I got to college, like, freshman year, I'm taking, like, an intro to African American studies class, like, every black kid does, like, when they get to college. And it's, like, we're learning about, like, slave rebellions and, like, women poisoning masters and shit and, like, really going hard. And, like, you're getting out of this, like, thought process that you had, like, oh, like, were we just sitting around and just, like, letting slavery just consume us i guess because that's kind of the, that's the kind assumption of. right that like people just kind of fell in line <laughs> and accepted <laughs> we were mental we were mental slaves um and we accepted you know like we we enslaved ourselves we were enslaved in the mind right like this stupid like idea right but it's like that was never the um, case and like revolution was always happening um on small scales and on large scales. And it's like this also this like lack of telling stories of black women that were like leading the charge as well Mm -hmm. um, during like, you know, slavery, right? And like, and also Mm -hmm. the solidarity between indentured servants and (laughs) like enslaved folks, right? So I mean, like, it's like this, like, that's when like the black radical tradition for me, like in, in a US context begins is like, you know, the first boat that gets here, or even before that, you know, people were fighting on the continent as well to prevent this from happening, right? So I think, like, we're talking, like, when we talk about, like, the Black radical tradition, like, you know, like, I think, like, contextualizing it, like, where it's beginning, you know, is also important, because I think that people, Limits like what radicalism is to theory, which I hate, and we'll get to that. Um, and like not actually like actions that people are taking just because, like, we didn't just because it wasn't written in a framework of <laughs> Marx told me to um poison the masses, so I did, and now it is revolutionary. Like, no, it's revolutionary on its own without like Marx's framework, right? So, I think like that's also important, just like us existing like when people like i remember like um like they, our existence mm-hmm. is like resistance you know what i mean like just being black in itself is a form of revolution and like radical tradition but like i also wanted to just like add that to like the essence of like blackness and radicalism
1: Yeah. no yeah for you sure you want to say something i'm um, sorry <laughs> i definitely like 100 percent agree with everything you guys have touched on so far um i mean 100, like, without a doubt, like, to be Black is an act of revolution, right? Because Black people constitute some of the most oppressed members of our society. And we've seen historically that oppression incites, um, like, reaction from the people. And uh, Black people in particular have been the persons who have always sort of been leading the charge against a lot of the economic and political injustices that we see in our society. Um, And so I think as a result of our being oppressed members of society, we have sort of had to engage in more non and more like alternative forms of organization, um, especially within our communities. Mm -hmm. I think the Black Panther Party is a really good example of this, right? specifically their survival programs. Um, as a result of working class Black communities sort of not being able to receive the, um, the resources we so desperately needed because the state is a tool of the capitalist class and um, the white ruling class as well. Um, we sort of had to create our own horizontal um, modes of survival. Um, these modes based off solidarity, Mm -hmm. economics, um, mutual aid. And um, I think that's in part what sort of reminds me what it is to be a black radical. It means understanding that a Mm -hmm. lot of these institutions of the post-colonial world are not institutions that are capable of serving our needs. Um, And so if we want to build Mm -hmm. a world that's capable of responding to our needs, we need to create our own institutions Specifically within our own communities.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think like um, I this would be a good time to like discuss the Obama question I had. <laughs> Cause like I gotta have that pretty low, but like let's talk about that. Let's unpack this. Um, and so like I like when we're talking about like the black radical tradition, right? Like I think it's important to ask like can black people get in front of or like stomping the growth or progress of like black radical tradition and I asked this because like our good friend Obama you know made some very choice comments this week about like the phrasing of um, defund the police and like this has been a very um, interesting debate that's been going on around like what he really meant or is he just saying that. Um, you know, is this, like, strategic, blah, 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 right? And, like, I kind of want to get to the root of um, using this as an example for, like, the overarching issue of, like, respectability politics kind of um, stopping progress in terms of, like, Black radical Mm -hmm. politics as well. Um, So, like, if you guys have any comments about what he said in general... We can so start there. I actually made a TikTok
1: about um, some of the comments that Obama made. And I basically said, like, I don't give a fuck mm-hmm. about what he had to say. Um, specifically, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, obviously, like Obama has shown repeatedly, um, specifically at Ferguson, that um, he has no qualms with um, putting the black community down whenever we become a burden for him, um, whenever we're no longer useful for him. Oof. and um wow this has been the case mm-hmm. like across his entire presidency um we can even look at um what happened when um <laughs> he drank the tap water air quotations and um flint michigan um yeah the masses of like mm-hmm. working class black communities have sort of always been a base for him but we've always been an extendable base um And so I have definitely always sort of been critical of him like ever since I have entered like more radical forms of politics. Um, And I'm also just gonna plug Mm -hmm. this book in because this book was like a really good book for me to read, to understand. Um, It's called The Black Bourgeoisie by Franklin Frazier. He um, was like a sociologist at Howard University. Mm -hmm. And um, he wrote this really awesome critique of the black middle and upper classes which have played a very interesting Mm -hmm. role in um, our quest for liberation. Um, In the civil rights movement, they took a very Mm -hmm. active role and uh, were able to sort of capitalize off the work that was being done by um, more radical working class Mm -hmm. um, leaders. um, And we see them sort of distance themselves Mm -hmm. from our movements with the rise of the black power movement. Um,
0: But Mm -hmm. I do definitely
1: believe that we have to understand that the intersections of race and class and gender and ideology are all things that exist, and these intersections lead to um, these intersections lead to these really weird instances in which we see um, black elites sort of use us as a viable tool for gaining capital in a political or economic sense while also Getting rid of us, a second we become a burden for them, and I think Obama did that when he talked about how snappy it was that organizations like Black Lives Matter, the movement for Black Lives, and even mm-hmm. Black people in general, like on the ground grassroots activists like myself, like are being like snappy and not being able to like understand like the like realism of like what's going on. Well, yeah, for sure.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, my thoughts on. This? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, is this a surprise? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, it's no. like, you know, I mean I think this is just mm-hmm. echoing again. Um Obama's rich. <laughs> Obama's rich people. Yeah. Obama and Jay-Z is not gonna liberate us, right? We liberate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're not in our interest, right? And I think, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean I'm kind of you know, mm-hmm. grateful, right? You know the fact that there's this. Um, I mean, look, the Black bourgeoisie is becoming so so blatant, right? About the, the plight of the poor, right? Yeah, and you know this, mm-hmm. this is indicative that revolution is near we or sure here, are. right? Because um, now we're like, wait a minute. So you know, mm-hmm. these poor white folk, like they poor too, you know. And it matter of like, we poor, like we are the ones that don't have to. You know, mm-hmm. like we're we're it odds with each other, but we not you know actually having any formal um power in the society. You know, while Obama does, Obama can just say stuff like that, and it's like you know. And I mean, I was thinking deeply about the fact that you know, not too long ago, what Clyburn, I don't even know who's first name Clyburn, what, that senator from South Carolina, he was. He was yeah, I, I mean, like hey, Clyburn, look, they they the same <laughs> niggas. <laughs> Some real mm-hmm. shit, y'all. Because Clyburn said some shit about defunding <laughs> the police, and that was bad. And that you know, Democrats lost because of that, right? And then of course, Obama him. Yeah, I mean, they're part of the same party, aren't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah, they're the same people. Yeah. You know? Um, and I mean, you know, actually, um, I, I was thinking deeply when that statement statement that Clyburn said, which is basically the exact same as Obama when he came out with that, I posted something on my Instagram. I was like. Yeah, I took a quote straight out the wretch of the earth, you know, and said, um, it, it goes along the lines of like, the iniquitous phenomenon of oppression can appear in a black or Arab face, Arab face right? And, you know, um, Fanon was talking about in Algeria when he, when, you know, the um, Algerian masses were seeing their bourgeois turn against them. And they're like, wait, why are you taking the side of the French when the French are literally dropping mm-hmm. nukes on us in Africa and us, right? Yeah, because, you know, the Algerian elite, you know, they're doing better than some French people, for real. <laughs> and they're chilling, right? Um, but that's the mm-hmm. consciousness that we need to have here, is that the elite of any color are not in our favor. Yeah? They're not, they're not going to come and save us, and they're not going to, you know, mm-hmm. and, and make things all better all of a sudden, all dandy. You know, it's ourselves, right? You know, this comes from us. And it comes from just, you know, really to mm-hmm. echo Fred Hampton's point, you know, because, um, this week was the assassination of, this week was the anniversary of his assassination. Uh, and he, he, I mean, he's brilliant. He was such a brilliant man to say, we need the white masses, right? We need the, the you know, yellow or Asian masses today, right? We need the brown masses. We need all these people to unite as a united front against, you know, the vicissitudes of racial capitalism. Um, uh, yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think, like, his comment for me gave me very much mm-hmm. T.I. Killer Mike vibes, like, first day Atlanta protest, like, because, like, I'll just never forget, like, being in downtown, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, Atlanta went up I that day, <laughs> um and it was everything, and I just, and I just remember, like, you know, my mom calling at me and yelling at me to come home <laughs> and this everything's like on fire or like whatever and nikisha is on tv telling us if you love atlanta go home if you Ooh. love black people go home this is not the way um and that's what it gave me and it pissed me off actually a lot and It's, like, Mm -hmm. Obama, like, you've had so much time (laughs) to Mm -hmm. talk. And, like, your candidate is in office. What was the point of you saying this? You know what I mean? And it's just kind of, like, you're not president. You're no longer, like, you know campaigning there was no reason for you no one asked <laughs> like why um and i think like the reason why it bothers me so much is because i think that po- respectability politics is is the reason mm. why we cannot progress it's like this fear of change, switching up and asking for more and asking for what we deserve like I always say this like when I talk to people like saying black lives matter and just affirming black lives matter is the Mm -hmm. quite literally the bare minimum of what we should be getting like being just like that's nothing to affirm like black lives exist and matter like yes like we should be able to get to that point and it's controversial unfortunately to be like our existence matters Mm -hmm. but it's also just like Hey, like defunding mm-hmm. the police is also not that crazy to say mm-hmm. like we defund every other program in America. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not crazy. And if people don't want to take the time to find out what defund the police means, that's not our problem. Exactly. And like for you to tell activists that it's part of it needs to be part of mm-hmm. our praxis to like like what voter base are we appealing to? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm wondering, like, who are we asking these questions to? Because I'm like, if you're asking us to, like, appeal to right voters, mm-hmm. that's just my, that's not part of my job. Mm-hmm. That's not my job to do as an activist, as a gra- grassroots organizer. It's not my job mm-hmm. to ask Trump supporters or people on the right or liberals, if or if not, they think I matter, if or if not, they think I, we should defund the police, Right. And so I think that that's why I got really irritated with this because it's, like, I'm getting into debates with, like, you know, friends of mine um, about this. Like, well, I mean, incrementalism. And I'm like, no! <laughs> no! Like, like genuinely, like, like, can we talk about, like, literally, where has incrementalism got us? Worked. This is why we're at where we're at. Like, it doesn't work. And, like, it clearly doesn't work. And it's, like, it just frustrates me because it's, like, when we're having conversations about like Democrats, liberals losing seats because of defund the police, that we're not having uh-huh. a conversation about like how all progressive candidates kept their seats. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, maybe it's because y'all are really shitty and like, aren't on message about what your voters are interested in. Yep. It has nothing to do with black people saying defund the police. Like your, your strategy just sucks and people are tired of bourgeois politics mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. And we can see through it now. Um, and so I think that, you know, the DNC and all of that, like, that's not our party. We don't have to discuss it. But like, you know, it but it impacts us because it's like we're yeah. forced to in a way to like participate in this. Yeah, Um. because people keep participating in this respectability, which is keeping us from creating multi-party system, a multi-party system, because everyone's stuck in this. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we have to accept what Obama says. Yeah. Maybe we should switch our message because we need more voters. And it's like, why can't we create a new voter base? I don't understand. Like, why can't we have multiple parties? Like, you know?
2: Mm -hmm. So
0: yeah, I think like that's like the important conversation around like Obama, especially like since he's such a central figure, unfortunately, in the Black community. So I don't know.
1: I I also think it's a really interesting critique to say like, oh, defunding the police is snappy. It's like Do we all remember what like four years ago when like BLM like first got onto the scene and people were saying the exact same thing about BLM? They were saying BLM is too controversial. They were saying it's too radical. They were saying it's too snappy. Like, I remember like reading about how like the like organizers for BLM, like they were trying to decide like what they should like call it. And there were people Mm -hmm. who were like, we should say Black Lives Matter. And some people were saying like, we should say Black Lives Matter too. and it just it just goes to show that, like, this movement to defund the police, right, like, it literally just happened this summer. There was, mm-hmm. there's never been, like, any, like, mass call to defund the police up until now. And so, obviously, this movement is going to yep. be met with right. resistance from the ruling class. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take time, especially, like, through grassroots, grassroots organizers on the ground to have the conversations with people about what building a world without police is going to look like, to have a conversation Mm -hmm. about how critical it is that we start funding these social programs so as to not have to live in a world that relies on policing in the very first place. Like, it's just a very, like, ahistorical critique for me.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm
1: Reactionaries. Reactionaries.
0: Yeah, I also, like, wanted to get into, like, since we talk about being Black, you know, um, like, I mean, any, like, quote, like, unique experiences, like, being Black on the left that, like, you feel like are important to discuss, um, and, like, how, what the leftist, I guess, community, or, like, not even community, but, like, just the politic in general can do better to accommodate and elevate, like, Black voices,
1: um so like something i've noticed is um this like really weird critique of identity politics or intersectionality mm-hmm. as a whole. Um i think these critiques are really funny because they're always made by mm-hmm. leftists who like don't understand these terms. Um specifically mm-hmm. white leftists. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I mean like the river collective right like they were the first people to mm-hmm. coin the term identity politics and mm-hmm. They talked about how real identity politics is something that takes into account like radical politics. It's something that recognizes that capitalism and imperialism are things that should be resisted. Um, And I think I think the left's inability to recognize this is what turns them off from a lot of marginalized groups as a whole. Because I know that before I was a leftist, I was, like, really critical of leftists because I was, like, everything isn't about class. Like, it's Mm -hmm. the intersection of our oppressions that actively matters. Um, And so seeing leftists, like, slam dunk on, like, identity politics wasn't always, like, really good for, like, making me, like, want to become a leftist. So I, like, really Mm -hmm. had to, like, make that journey myself, like, I couldn't really rely on any other leftists because most of the leftists around me were like white people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely think like it's important to understand that the people who need to be leading our movements are not going to be white people because white people to an extent benefit from the status quo, regardless of whether or not they are like working class or a member of the ruling class. Like we live in a post-colonial world. White supremacy is a thing. Um, like our movement needs to be led by the most marginalized amongst us. It needs to take into account that if we are hoping to build a truly popular movement, then it needs to naturally have a like diverse and intersectional component. And that's just something I don't see leftists talk about at all. And um, I like mm-hmm. especially on TikTok. Like you know what I'm talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. I think in my mm-hmm. view. From just you know what um like a unique experience if i'm getting the question right right? Like, um with me. Yeah, like um a unique experience as a black yeah, class, yeah.
2: Right? Mm-hmm.
3: um i mean i think in my my um analysis or experience is being poor again right because i'm like oh, wait, wait a lot of y'all motherfuckers got money
2: <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, i don't you know and <laughs> to mean, what is that it's not just the actual um you know, uh, um, amount of capital, right? But you know, it's where I come from, you know, like my I don't I don't bullshit mm-hmm. with a lot of the things that I feel like, you know, leftists are concerned about. Um, and it's like I never understood this obsession with theory, right? You know, where I'm like, you know, specifically because I'm like, I come from a high school mm-hmm. where people graduating at a fourth grade reading level. Yeah. And people can't read, right? You know, I mean, even myself when I started picking up these books, I'm like, whoa, I don't know a lot of these words. And, you know, I want to emphasize uh, Huey P. Newton again because of how much I respect his story and why his, um, not just his movement, but the people that were with him in the Black Panther Party were so powerful. Huey P. Newton couldn't read before his junior year of high school. Mm -hmm. He taught himself how to read by reading Plato's Republic. Yeah. And because that's
1: <laughs> Such a bad book.
3: No, i am good. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so nah, sorry. Well, I mean shit is worse if you can't read, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like it's like, you know, that's a damn shame, right? You know, it's like the fact that you know, they let this they let this black boy go through eleven mm-hmm. years of school and you know, he didn't know how to read until he took the initiative to do so, right? And that's the common story for my family, for my uh, my uncle who's an OG leftist, right? was, you know, raised in the ghettos of Queens, you know, who didn't have, who had the same exact type of education system, you know, to myself that I, I'm from the suburbs, but I'm from the, I'm from the hood school, <laughs> you know, where we don't got the funding, we don't got none of that stuff, and we, you know, it's like, and like I told you before, people graduate with a fourth grade reading mm-hmm. level, you know? and it's like, you know, um, but it's a matter mm-hmm. of that um, self-determination that I have, right, that I share with someone like Huey and, you and know, my uncle or all the or the all all the other lemon proletariat, right? That um you know come from these bottom places. You know I love the word uh, Lumen, uh, And Huey uses this in his book. He says Lumen brothers, right? Yeah, or lemon, lemon folks, right? You know to put a modern spin on it. Yeah. You know? um, and it's like, in, you know Lumen folk, we we don't know how to read that well, right? You know, but we understand that we poor and we ain't got something and we need to go get it. Right, and who are we going to get it from is more, it's a more important aspect. Um, and I think the other part of just my unique experience is the fact that, um, you know, I, I know what it feels like to be in a very hostile, right? So when people trying to get hot with me, I'm like, listen, back up. <laughs> you don't know where I'm from, <laughs> nigga. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, you know, like, really, that's how the experience of the core is, it's, it's do or die, right? it's live or die, you know, so when I when I'm in these leftist circles, there's able to be this sort of um, you know, this like, this, it, it's lucid right, you know, that these people are privileged and therefore I'm gonna put my foot down and y'all motherfuckers gonna be surprised <laughs> and I, the most striking example I can, example I can think mm-hmm. of is um, uh, I think here we talked about this in this book too, right where he talks about one of the attorneys for the Black Panther Party um, and her name was Beverly Axelrod. and she was a white, she was a white woman who was bougie, right? You know, bourgeois white woman, and you know she, um, she was very involved, right? And Huey would talk about how she would occasionally say racist things, right? But, but we, what we appreciate so much about Beverly uh, mm-hmm. is the fact that she was able to accept critique, right? Is that and you know, but it also takes someone. Like you, we, or myself, or any other poor lumber person, right? To be able to put their foot down and say, yo, shut the fuck up real quick, right? Like, you just said, shit, <laughs> you know, and I'm gonna lay it out to you. I'm not attacking mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. I'm attacking the ideologies that you come from, and therefore you need to stop that in this box right now, right? And in that case, you know, um, there's hope, you know, for, for the left and, you know, for to close this revolving door of. This, you know, stubbornness. You know, because ultimately, when they denounce race, mm-hmm. it's because they are racist. No, yeah, it's that they have ideologies about them. And look, don't we all? Mm-hmm. do we all? You know, exposed, have been exposed to homophobic, misogynist, racist, you know, hateful ideologies in our life. You know, but it's time mm-hmm. to reverse that with love in every facet of our life, right? Specifically, these leftists that are so stubborn, they they mm-hmm. got to shut up and listen, right? But it's. Right. You have to take it has to be someone that's able to put their foot mm-hmm. on their neck. Right. And also person that's able to take it because we know it's not their neck individually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, like I completely agree. Like I think that um what's so interesting about like politically organizing as like a black leftist, mm-hmm. um, especially like in a student experience, right? Um, like I come from like a background of like student radical politics i don 't even know like what to call it, just like student activism um, and what 's like really interesting, like when I was organizing with notic NSU, which is like a fully like black um, organizing collective, is that when we even <laughs> called ourselves a black organizing collective, it got so much backlash because we said we were black. <laughs> Um, And representing black students exclusively. Um, And a lot of the white, rich, elitist, leftist on campus were not okay with that at all. And we're like, well, that's racist. You're leaving us out. (laughs) And we're like, what? Like, no, we can only speak to our experiences and that's what we're organizing around. Like, if you want to organize, we can be in solidarity with you, but we're not allowing you to take credit for our work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, like, that's the biggest issue for me is that, like, this resistance, um, like, white communities get upset with you when you organize without them. And then when you ask to be included in their praxis or, like, critique their praxis, they're like, LOL, race doesn't matter. (laughs) So it's like, you can't have it both ways, right? And I think, like, that's kind of, like, my experience is, like, um, yeah, like, a Black organizer in general um, trying to, like, deal with, you know, leftist politics. And I mean, like, like we said, like, TikTok's a whole nother level of bullshit. Um, but, like, this argumentation between white liberals and white leftists about, like, who gets the Black people, um, and like they do the same thing that right wing people do with you, Candace Owens. Like, well, my black friend said this. So it's true. And let's like the left does the same thing. And I'm like, y'all be getting mad, like calling, like, you know, like y'all get mad at right wing people for like citing Candace Owens and shit like that. But I'm like, y'all be doing the same shit. They're like, well, my yeah. black friend on the left said this. So it's true. And I'm right! And you're white, so shut up! And it's like white people looking at each other for being white. It's weird! Like, it's weird. It's a weird thing that happens. Like, I feel like even in the left, like, black people, like, black leftist voices are also tokenized. And, like, I think the prime example of that was, like, the occurrence of when um, we're talking about critiques of Kamala Harris and white people thinking that it's okay to... It's fine to critique Kamala Harris, but it's also, we can also acknowledge that a lot of the critique that happens to her is also because she's Black and Indian, and, like, we can recognize that, and, like, it's fair to recognize that, but, you know, white leftists can't have that. They're like, there's no way, I'm not racist. (laughs) Like, fuck, (laughs) fuck, you know? And it bothers me, like, and they'll be like, well, look at this Black person. On TikTok, that said that Kamal is not that great when people are telling them, like, hey, the critique that you utilize is really mostly because she's Black and a woman. Yep. So I think that um, it's just very interesting. I just don't, like, I think for me, like, that's what bothers me the most is, like, the tokenization of Black voices on the left as well Um, and us being used as pawns in order to... Um, progress really problematic arguments on our side uh, yeah and yeah so I think like we've been talking a lot so I want to like get to like a, a closing question I think like we kind of like talked about um, this a little bit but like how do you think we can radicalize like Gen Z as well as like older generations to be more comfortable with participating in uh, a left-wing praxis? Cause like I said, in the beginning, like there's like this really big misconception about, you know, if the left is Joe Biden or like, (laughs) or like AOC is the left, even AOC is the center AOC. Like, you know, like where does this praxis go like what is the political like timeline right um so like what do you guys think we can do in order to like better educate and radicalize um people in our own generation and others
1: so for me i would definitely have to say obviously that um, joe biden is not the left um (laughs) i think i think i think most well not most of us but i think some of the the more radical members of um our community sort of understand that um I think we also understand that politicians like AOC and Bernie Sanders are also like centrist. Um, Mm -hmm. But I understand that to a degree, their policies can be really helpful for the movements that we're trying to build. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just my opinion. I know, I know not all leftists like think like that, but um, I think they're somewhat useful and getting people comfortable with the idea of these things, even if they aren't fully presented with the entire idea. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons, right, that our generation Gen Z is a little more open to embracing like socialist and communist politics. Um, So I think that's been somewhat useful in helping radicalize people. But I have found myself that the most um, potent form of radicalization is just when we when we just talk to people in all honesty Mm -hmm. specifically people in our communities. Um, I, -hmm. I was, I've been doing like on the ground protesting, um, kind of since like this thing took off. I even like started like my own um, student organization and, um, we like explicitly say like we're dedicated to pursuing, um, revolutionary and radical um, change in our city and in our communities as well. Um, I honestly think that things like mutual aid and um building institutions that are capable of providing for the people in your community um kind of like survival programs are some of the most powerful tools of radicalization that we have available to us especially right now i think a lot of people Mm -hmm. are coming to the conclusion that um these institutions are not capable of serving our needs, and I think that's why we're seeing a increasing amount of popular movements sort of rising up. And I think the left is in a really interesting moment to where we can capitalize off these movements if we're capable mm-hmm. of building our own institutions that can that can help give our community some some real organizing power. Um, so I definitely think. Um, engaging in things like mutual aid, um, pushing for dual power strategies, um, creating like little survival programs in our communities, and um, also just like trying to educate people as much as we can about it, um, are really going to be how we radicalize people.
3: Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, agree. From my, from my view, I uh, think concerning how do we radicalize you know, Generation Z, The only thing that can come to my mind really is that people gotta acknowledge the um, magnitude of the struggle, right? That's not a (laughs) game. This is not a joke. This Mm is, you know, y'all gotta get ready to die, right? On some real shit, you know? And it's like, you know, I'm a firm believer in that because every single revolutionary struggle where people have progressed tremendously, they've sacrificed their lives to the movement, you know? That's where it begins, and that's where it ends, right It's just like I yep. said, in revolution, one either wins or dies, yeah, so let's get prepared, right, yeah, and when we fully embrace death, that's when we fully embrace life, yeah and i I think especially in a time when mental health is so important, yeah, where we have um you know so so much attention surrounding mental health and. Uh, um, I mean you know with specifically I'm thinking of depression and suicide anxiety you know and we're having conversations about these things and not um you know brushing it off maybe right it's legitimate you know these are legitimate things trauma et cetera there's this um there's this emphasis on embracing life that needs to be brought out right? and that's really what if someone pushed um anxiety and suicidal thoughts when you begin to fully live that's when your mental health also begins to improve and then people overall improve. Yeah, um, is yeah, you know, and look, people mm-hmm. find this shit dope, yo. I'm telling you, when people see that, oh shit, you you getting to die, shit, me too? <laughs> yeah, I really do believe everything else falls in place after that. You know, then we can have real mm-hmm. open dialogue about what mutual aid looks like. You know, what um dismantling these, dismantling these institutions look like, what consultation looks like, right? You know, what is um what does revolution actually look like and what is it not? Um, Because we started off to say that we are serious about this. And, you know, fuck all the political shit, right? You know, I I, I don't even spend time really anymore talking about names like Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders or AOC, et cetera, et cetera, because I think we're wasting time with people like this. Yeah. Rather, let's focus on the essence of humanity. And that's to embrace death and therefore we embrace life and then we embrace each other in this revolutionary struggle. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank
0: you. Okay, I hot takes. We love agree. to see it. Yeah,
1: I just wanted to yeah. say Wes. I just wanted. I'm so sorry. I just wanted to say I think your point was really interesting because um, um I sort of mentioned this a little earlier, but like the disturbing news I sort of found out. I found out that um the police in my
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs>
0: no, not the ops. The minute you said the you literally said the, you know, the police, and then it was like <laughs> it said, sorry, your recording is done processing. I was like, I never ended the recording.
2: Oh, Whoa. Well. Okay.
0: okay 12 um that was awkward but continue your point hopefully they don't like end um, it this time that was creepy
3: that yeah, was
1: a little creepy i'm not gonna lie um real. i'm sorry so um i was just gonna say what's your idea about how we need to sort of live breathe and uh, die for the struggle die for revolutionary right? um i was just saying like i think this is a really interesting point Um, Because I kind of just found out like uh, a lot of the organizations in my area um, have been being surveilled by um, the police of our city. And um, my organization was one of the organizations and my organization is a um, it's a student organization. So we don't really engage in any um, forms of like violent direct action um, just because like we're all students. Um, A majority of us are minors. Um I'm one of the only people like of age in the group. So um yeah. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a little yeah. something that we just kind of have to remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also remember the feds are always watching. And
3: always listening. Oh
0: my gosh.
3: <laughs> but it's important because they can't win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible for them to win. You know, mm-hmm. and you know word actually to Ho Chi Minh, Ho chi yeah King. Right? I remember this video. <laughs> this is video I saw. You know where he was real old here. You know he was holding a cigarette and he was and He was saying this in French. He said, "You know, jamais, 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 right? You know, which means never, 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 right? Like you know, you know the Americans will never win. You know the Vietnamese will fight for however long. You know, and you're gonna see that you will never win this struggle." And I mean, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Vietnam was uh, liberated after Ho Chi Minh died, right? Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
3: Yeah. But, you know, it's, he was saying that because he knew. Yeah? And that's what we got to get to. It's two things. And they, they go in tandem, right? It's belief and embracing death. Yeah. It's belief in our struggle that we're going to win and embracing death because, you know, it's irrelevant to hold on to life without liberation, without liberty. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think, like, also to add to, like, ways to engage um, Gen Z, like, Wes and I were saying earlier, like, honestly, this focus on theory is, like, yeah, next level elitist. Um, and mm-hmm. honestly, the only theory that, like, I would genuinely, like, be like, hey, like, really easy to read short and quick is, like, the Communist Manifesto and the Kambahi River Collective Statement. very easy short reads that will not like both of them combined will not take you more than an hour Mm
1: -hmm. i would Um, say i would say i would say the principles of communism over the uh, communist manifesto in all honesty mm -hmm. because that's even shorter okay yeah yeah um, way more way more to the point
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's just like you know but like if and that's and honestly, do you need to read it? Not necessarily. No. <laughs> and you know, like I'm like if you want, sure. And I think like what frustrates me is that like um there's kind of like these leftist tokens mm-hmm. um that you can cash in on how many revolutionaries you know mm-hmm. or like what yes. theory you know or like Oh my oh, god. Oh, I I know Michelle Foucault. <laughs> I like, you know, okay, biopower <laughs> like <laughs> The
3: ethereal bisexual <laughs> woman that That's he like socialist. That shit in the wild,
0: <laughs> But, like, it's just kind of like, you know, like, it's getting to a point where it's like people are really genuinely jacking themselves off about how many revolutionary, like, mm-hmm. readings they can do, oh, but yeah. have never organized shit you know Period. or have never um and like even if you haven't organized anything that's also fine i think like people um are afraid to organize because they think they need all this theory <laughs> in order to organize and it's like this theory is based off of organizing that's already happened before the theory existed um you know and and so i think that it's just kind of like really frustrating to me that like a lot of people base i mean okay not even a lot of people i'm just gonna say it like white leftist religious really thing but like theory is the end all be all and the only thing that you need in order to be a leftist and like if you haven't read Lenin, you're not a leftist <laughs> or if you don't or if you don't subscribe to like you know Maoism, you're not a leftist or like yeah. whatever and it's just like that's not true it's ridiculous like, you know like being on the left can lived experiences lived experience can be leftism you know what i mean like like we said like by mere virtue of being black and existing you're like you you're existing in a radical black radical politic right so like which is inherently leftist so i think that like um i just get really frustrated like with this emphasis on theory like i always personally encourage people to just genuinely like fight in the ways that you know how to mm-hmm.
1: in the ways like, that you can yeah. in the
0: ways that you can exactly because it's just like not everyone can participate in on the ground physical like revolution right um not all of us have the power or like the time to do so you know people were trying to survive right and people that have the means to be able to participate in this on the ground work do it right like do it to where you can you know Um, And I think like that's really important to emphasize and also like I think people need to give people more grace. I say this all of the time. People are going to mess up. Um, People are not going to know everything or know what the right thing to say is. Um, And if you have the energy to educate, do it. Not going to tell people they have to educate because no one owes education to anyone. Um, But if you have the energy to correct or educate someone, then do so Um, because I just feel like it's just helpful to be honest. Like I kind of don't necessarily fully subscribe to the belief of just Google it because Google can bring you some really shitty sources. Yes. Yes. Um if you're gonna Google, use Google Scholar babes. Um let's (laughs) like you know, like if we're gonna Google, let's do that. Um but yeah, like I think that um a really cool way that people are educating people. I mean, like I feel like I've learned a lot of cool like leftist shit on tiktok not all of it's great but a lot of it is (laughs) um there's some really cool podcasts there's like i love that like i don't know why i didn't realize this was a thing before the summer protests that all these like instagram slideshow things are really helpful like the bite like information whatever like anywhere that like you're getting like these are cool ways that like people are becoming more and more like radicalized and more and more um in tune with you know what's happening like in general and just becoming more educated um about like how we can fight these things i think like that's kind of the problem is that everyone's experiencing this but they don't know what to do about it right or like what the possibilities there are because i feel like america puts you in like in an american context right like we're kind of put in this very limited like the only thing we can do is vote.
2: <laughs> that's the re- yeah. that's
0: like the, that's the resolution and all be all like just vote. <laughs> It'll change, which we all know like isn't true. Um so I think that um yeah, like that's a really important like cool ways I guess that Gen Z and like older generations as well are becoming more and more in tune and like um more and more educated on leftist politics yeah were wow. you we about to say something aaron i'm so sorry like
1: oh no i was just like i was just like agreeing okay, with you. i was yeah. just like i was just like yes <laughs> when i was just like especially with like tiktok like
3: <laughs> <laughs> I get up <laughs>
0: Wes, you need to get on TikTok, man.
1: Uh, you do need to. It's curious.
3: Uh, <laughs> nah, I prefer Twitter, you That shit, <laughs> Twitter, 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 Twitter. Twitter is good, too. Hell,
0: Twitter yeah. is where it's at. That's uh, true. Yeah, hell
2: you All right, y'all.
0: But, yeah, speaking of plugs, um, I wanted to give you guys a chance to tell people where they can find you.
1: Oh, um, so um, my Twitter is... Um, Aaron A A R O N underscore B O 2 It's the same thing for my Instagram. Um, if you have TikTok and you want to see like some of my weird TikToks, um, I'm like base black communalist on TikTok. Um, yeah, those are those are the only places you'll really find me.
3: Okay, my my full <laughs> I never, yeah, you know? so I'm like, what? Oh. um, well, i'm uh, aboriginal, I'm not gonna spell all that, you know,
0: you know. I'll tag him okay great,
3: thank you so much, but it's aboriginal x forty seven both that's my Twitter and my Instagram, so yeah, that's me, yeah, that's it, that's all I, I say we the love. talk for now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
0: But yeah, I wanted to thank you guys again so much for doing this episode with me. It was so fun. It's such a good conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I'm glad
1: I got to join. <laughs> yeah,
3: for sure. No <laughs> um, problem at all. Yeah. My pleasure.
0: But yeah. All right. I really hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. I had such a fun time working with Aaron and Wes on this um, it was such an interesting discussion, some really interesting takes, and I'm just so grateful f- to both of them for taking the time out of their day, Erin for taking the time out of their work day to sit down and record this episode with me. So, thank you guys so much again. Um, if you're looking to support the podcast so that I can bring more amazing people on um, and also improve the quality of my content, Please consider donating to my Anchor support or to my Patreon. Both links to those things are in my bio, um, as well as in the description of this episode. Additionally, if you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on TikTok at everything my, as well as Instagram at everything to see what I'm up to on a regular basis. Um, yeah, I'm kind of a goof. You all you guys only get one me once a week on the podcast, and I'm sure maybe you might want a little bit more of me. So. Um. Yeah. And also, I wanted to additionally say that if there are any stories that you guys would like to have covered in the first segment, feel free to send them to me in my Instagram um, or my TikTok so that I can discuss them on the podcast weekly. So yeah, thanks again, everybody, for your undying support of the podcast and of me. I really appreciate all of you. And I really do hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.